0: Well, it's that time again. It's flat out RC podcast time, the podcast where we talk all things radio control flight. We're talking radio control planes, helis, and drones. My name's Andrew Sill, coming to you from the land down under in Melbourne, Australia. Big thank you to everybody that's listening from all around the world because we do get people listening from all around the world. Now, we've got a, a pretty big episode. Uh, Aaron Bones-Garl is joining us because we have the F3A World Championships that are just about to happen on our doorstep here in Australia. And Aaron is one of our top Australian competitors. So who better to have on than Aaron to talk about the upcoming F3A World Championships, which is it's going to be a big event. Uh, so we're going to have a bit of a deep dive with Aaron all about that. Uh, before we do, let's have a look at what's been happening around the Traps well i'd like to start this little segment by talking about upcoming events i love to promote events no matter which events they are any, any events that people send me information about I, i'd like to mention. And hopefully i haven't forgotten any if i have i apologize but there, i mentioned the f3a world champs it's coming up uh it's a, it's a big event held here in australia we don't often get world championship events being held down here but good to see the f3a world's descending in warwick in queensland on the 19th to the 26th of august at the warwick airfield i think at the um at the uh, local um airstrip full-size airstrip so 19th to 26th of august we're going to talk to to aaron gahl about that event shortly so i won't go into too much detail but if you want to go and see some really unbelievable flying and some of the best pilots in the world flying aerobatics and um, precision aerobatics, then you're going to head to, to Warwick between the 19th and 26th of August. Uh, those in the know, you know this is coming, in the pattern scene know that's coming, and there's a lot of good people doing a lot of work behind the scenes to make it happen. So well done and good luck to all the people competing and the organizers, etc., um, gunning for you that everything goes well. Uh, jets over Monato event. Mentioned it uh, um, a fair bit, 25th to the 27th of August over in South Australia. If you think Jets, this is a good place to go and fly because they've got a paved ra- uh, runway railway, runway, um, that is 130 metres long. It's a, it's a really nice flying venue. Um, basically, it's a fun fly event for Jets, a bit like the Wang Jets kind of event, but uh, Jets over Monato. So if you're that way inclined, Whether you're in South Australia, Victoria, Queensland, WA, nice central location, Adelaide, get over there. 25th to the 27th of August, Adelaide Model Aerosport Inc. Probably jump onto their website. I reckon they might have some more information. Um, I've got some phone numbers here, but I don't want to put them out on air. Um, So that should be a good event. And of course, the big, big event that's coming up. The 40th Mammoth Scale Flying, the Shepparton and the Valley Radio Flyers event, the Shepparton Mammoth Scale Flying. It's the 40th anniversary and it's going to be a big one. Um, I was looking at their event flyer um, recently and lots of sponsors, Um, Oz Model Fly, um, the Australian um, Scale Associations uh, involved, and also Scale Aero Products um, involved. So lots of prizes to um, be won. Uh, raffle prize and stuff like that, uh, donated by multiple different organizations, including some vouchers and fuel vouchers and stuff like that. It's four different prizes, and they're pretty good at that. So 40th Mammoth Scale Flying is going to be held on the 16th to the 17th of September 2023. It's that middle weekend. I always say it's the middle weekend in September. 16th to 17th of September will be nice spring weather. Generally, it's a bit wet last year, but this year it's got to be a good one. Uh, they're also selling some t-shirts so keep an eye out for that they've got some special 40th anniversary t-shirts and hats that they've made up that look really really cool you got to get one um, all proceeds of course go to the club uh, there is entry fees and stuff for pilots and whatever just keep an eye out online for all of that but it doesn't cost a lot of money camping available on site um, let's make it a big event let's let's really celebrate aero modeling in a good way by all turning up to this event because and bring your best planes now there are requirements as far as the type of planes that you can have uh, you can have, I'm um, looking here, monoplane has to be a wingspan of 80 inch and biplane 66 inch. Scale planes only, don't bring your sport jets. We only want to see, as so I put my computer down, we only want to see scale planes there because it is a scale fun fly event for giant scale or large scale aeroplanes. So 16th to 17th of September, pencil it in. I'm aiming to be there. I always like going to this event. It's one of those events that, You know, I remember reading about it in the 80s, you know, this this big event in Shepparton always wanted to go to, and I didn't go to it for, for, I didn't get the opportunity to go for a long, long time, I finally went and went, oh, this is cool. So I just, I'm not going to take a plane, I'll just uh, take some photographs maybe, maybe shoot a video or something like that to capture the moment, Uh, always a bit of fun. It's just another way I enjoy spending my time at a flying field, he's he's doing those kind of things as well. So uh, that'll be a bit of fun so okay what's interesting uh, and one thing I sort of want to share with you some thoughts on where's the hobby going because I noticed a post the other day uh, an announcement that extreme flight the the manufacturer of really high quality bolsa aerobatic planes you know if you're into aerobatics you know extreme flight but they're starting to now offer receiver ready aircraft and uh, that means you know one step from the ARF where you're going to buy an aircraft that's got servos in it, a prop on a nose, you know, nose cone, and all you're going to have to do is drop your receiver in. And I know there's some there's two schools of camps. that think, oh, that's terrible. People should be building models. And then there's the other camp that goes, that's awesome. It's going to save me a lot of time. Now, I'm pretty much placing the awesome that's going to save me a lot of time because. I lead a very busy life, as I've mentioned numerous times, and I don't have time to sit and build my aeroplanes because I've got to do other things at this stage of my life. Later, later on the track, like, I'll give you an example. I was out on the um, uh, on the on the website um, looking at kits, um, scale products website, and I started searching for King Air. Wouldn't it be cool? I, I love. I once saw this photo of a, a really big scale King Air, and I thought that would be. Awesome twin engine. It was electric actually, and it sounded really cool as an electric. I like the idea of having the electric twin in that size model. That'd be pretty cool, I reckon. Uh, Nice sound, that kind of thing. Um, And so I started looking, I thought, oh, that'd be cool. Imagine if you could build something like that. And that is my plan, not at this stage of my life, just a bit later. So having these receiver ready. Uh, models, do you think it's going to ruin the hobby or not? I don't think it's going to ruin anything. I think people will make a choice whether that suits their lifestyle or not but um, you, you've got to pay a bit of a premium for it uh, because there is a fair bit of labour that goes into it and you've got to buy all the servos and, and they're going to kit things out with pretty good quality stuff um, I think they're using T-motors so they're starting with like a 67 inch um, run that on a 6S uh, 5000, 4000, 5000 hour pack uh, which I do like that size actually it fits in the back of the car okay. I've got plenty of those batteries now. Um, and there's a new new extra and it looks phenomenal. I love the schemes. the schemes are getting better. flights doing a good job with their schemes at the moment. Uh, so yeah it, it, it's interesting to see you know we've seen it with jets with quick builds and, and, and things like that and I think that's you got to remember what these companies are doing is responding to demand. People want like convenience. You know, that's why things like RC cars have been so popular, is that you could buy an RC car and 20 minutes later, you're out driving it. they they're is saying, saying that it'd be about an hour between receiving the plane and getting it out ready to go fly. So that's just, you know, buy it, get it set up and you're offline the next day at the field, charge your packs and off you go. And, you know, I think that does fill uh, you know, some demand in the market. And, what we generally see is when one company goes and does it, other companies are gonna follow suit. So uh, you know, maybe that might give us a bit more choice. But again, we are gonna to have to pay a premium for that kind of service. A lot of us, we can weigh it up and say, okay, uh, if it's gonna take me, let's say 20, 25 hours to put an ARF kit together for a 67 inch model, that kind of stuff, take your time, do it well, that kind of thing, what else could I be doing in that time, you know, for example, could I be working to make more money to fund the extra and which one is easier for you to do Uh, build the model or work a bit extra and get paid to get someone else to build the models and I've paid people to build models for me in the past and the reason being is that if I didn't do that those models will still be in their boxes and so actually with one of my models it had been sitting there for so long and I was running out of storage space so what I worked out is that if I build the model, I'll reduce the storage requirements because you know you got the airframe in one box, the wings in another box. It was a big, big hundred cc aerobatic plane. You got the motor in another box, the servos in another, and all these boxes just keep on taking up shelf space. So I went, I just got to build the damn thing so that I can just clear up the the space. So uh, shout out to Ash Cox who uh, put the plane together for me and um, did a good job at that. So that solved my storage problem. And of course, as a true aero modeler, once we've solved the storage problem, we go and buy another model to go and fill up that space. Anyway, we're a crazy bunch, but we're having fun. Well, it's guest time now, for my favourite part of the podcast, and we've got a return guest, uh, Aaron bones Gall, Bones being his nickname, Aaron Garl, uh, a well-known name in the aero scene here in Australia and, and in other regions as well because he's he's really travelled a lot for his aero modelling, especially into the US, competing at different events in aerobatics. He's one of our top aerobatic pilots here in Australia that's won multiple national championships in uh, IMAC flying and and has shifted over in recent times to focus on pattern flying as well. I think he was at the last World Championships, but he made it again to the team uh, for this World Champs. I think he may have been the the first place getter in our uh, qualifying event. And um, and he's a pretty damn good pilot at that. So I thought I'll get him on. I spoke to him earlier in the year about, about getting him on before this event um, being the F3A World Championships. And I think the last time they were held in Australia was in 1991 or something like that. And so... It's been a long time between drinks to get the event back here. And it, it's a it's a big event, really, when you think about it. There's a lot of flights. It's people from all around the world. Um and Aaron will talk a bit about that with Aaron. But um what yeah, what I will give you a warning. I've had this funny problem happening with my audio recordings that halfway through the recording it goes into some stereo funny, weird kind of thing. So there might be a break in the middle of this. I I, I don't know. I haven't as I record this, I haven't actually edited the podcast, the, the interview yet, but but there might be a break, but just uh, stick in there. It's only for a short period of time. Um, but, yeah, so we, so Aaron and I had a chat. We also um, was just after the Festival of Modelling, so we just had a quick rundown how that went since he was on the organising committee as well. So we took that opportunity to have a chat with him about that event. But F3A World Champs, who will reign supreme? There's some big names coming. Uh, so, anyway. Let's get into it. Let's have a chat with Aaron Gall and find out more about it. Well, we have a return guest on the Flat Out RC podcast. He hasn't been on for quite a while, but he's a big name in the hobby down here in Australia. Aaron Bones Gall. Thanks for joining me.
1: Thank you very much for having me, Andrew.
0: We have a lot to talk about because uh, you were one of the organizers of the highly successful Festival of Era Modeling. Plus, you're competing at the F3A World Champs. I don't know where to start, but how about we start with Festival era modeling. How did it go,
1: mate? It was uh, amazing to uh, sum it all up. It was all up. I believe we ended up at the start of the event. We had about one hundred and fifteen pilots, but uh, due to some late entries, we ended up getting up to about one hundred and twenty-five entrants over the course of the eight days. Uh, it was spread up, split up over the two flight lines this year. We did originally have three flight lines, however due to a couple of changes that uh, ended up having to happen last minute, we ended up having to shorten it. But in the end, it was uh, really good. We've had some really good feedback Uh, after the event. We put out a a bit of a survey to everyone asking a few questions on, you know, how they felt it all went and anything we can improve on. But overall, it was an amazing event. We are fortunate enough this year. We had two international guests. Martin Pickering returning again. We kept kind of kept him on the lowdown and announced him at a last, the week before the event. Uh, however, we also had uh, Ryu Sintrom over from Thailand, who's become quite the gun in the world of 3D aerobatics. So it was great, great to have those guys out. Um, over the course of the event, Ryu uh, was flying a model that um, was donated by a couple of different sponsors such as Pilot RC, Desert Aircraft Australia, DLE Engines and Advanced Radio. So they uh, all these companies came together and set up this model for Ryu to fly and display over the course of the event. And at the end of it the airplane was raffled off. Uh, the winner was Stephen Goldbot up here in Queensland and all the proceeds ended up getting split, split between three charities being the uh, local SES, the um, Kids with Cancer Foundation, and there is a in the Gundawindji Shire Council. There is a literacy program that they have for kids in primary schools on learning, and and that also went to that. So each of the each of the uh, entities ended up receiving a little over a thousand dollars worth of a donation from that. So mm-hmm. that there was pretty well, yeah, that was pretty well received. Um, again, like last year, we had quite the range of models from your, your, your all your World War World One, World War Two jets, aerobats, um, and 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 literally every form of era modeling because that's what the festival of era modeling is all about. It's about bringing like-minded era modelers together to share that common interest, regardless of whether you're flying a forty-six size trainer, a jet, a warbird. It is something that everyone can come to and be a part of. Yeah, well,
0: I only heard of one person complain to me and that was Martin, oh, yeah. that was Martin Pickering. He said it was cold. I said, Martin, <laughs> you're in Queensland. If you were down in Melbourne, I could get it. But it can get cold in Queensland, can't it?
1: Yeah, it can. Look, where Inglewood is situated is... Um, it's about three hours west of Brisbane, up over the Great Dividing Range. And he was 100% right. There was many mornings where it was minus one, minus two degrees. And and look, it, it, it is it is a part of it, I suppose. Not, not many international people think about Australia being cold. They think about the outback. They think about the heat. They think about the sun. However, in winter, it can become quite cold out there. Yes.
0: Well, it's... Uh... You're lucky you're not down here in Melbourne at the moment because it's uh, been pretty cold, but uh, as it normally is in winter. But do um, but you know what? My, my preference is I like flying when it's cool rather than when it's hot. How do you go flying in the heat?
1: Uh, personally, I would actually agree with you there, Andrew. I personally prefer flying in the cold over the heat. Having flown overseas and, and done many different events, I, I personally prefer to fly in the cold over the heat and the humidity at any time, especially if you're flying any – iMac models or anything with a gasoline engine the the times that i've experienced our models overheating especially when we've gone to whether it be the Futaba XFC or the Clover Creek Invitational um, you don't really tend to get it at Tucson because Tucson's more of a dry heat however especially on a lot of those events over on that east coast of the US um, it can get pretty hot and I think most era modellers here in Australia would agree that usually most of our flying season is winter because summer, as as I already said before, it gets pretty hot and humid here in Australia.
0: It's good for gliding and, and not
1: Oh, definitely good for gliding. My old man loves it. You're more than happy to go on out with the D L G or we go and do a bit of slope soaring, it's perfect time of the year for it. Yeah,
0: that's what I, I always say. Hot weather, okay. Take a glider <laughs> out to forget leave the other models at home. Okay, so uh, you know, a lot of work goes into that event, doesn't it? Like, when did you start planning planning the event?
1: So it pretty much started planning about twelve months out, just with regards to the general um, notifying Gundawindi Shire Council that this was going to be happening again, um, along with also just little bits of pieces of planning in the background. Um, It didn't really start ramping up until maybe around about January this year where uh as as a group of us uh between Jordana and Tyson Dodd and my father and I and also there are some other individuals out there who are a part of it where we started sorting out the t-shirts and all the other little bits and pieces that happen in the background uh to help make the event you know that little bit more special and that little bit more personalized um also booking in the um we On the Saturday night, we had a dinner at a place called Green Up, which is about 15, 20 minutes out of town. For them, they're they're not used to them sort of level of numbers. We ended up, I think, having about 130 or 140 people out there. So they had to be geared up and ready to go and plan and everything to be booked in place for it to all happen. Um, further to that there as well, we, we're finding that for even going further forward, like we've already started – Locking in dates and doing other planning for next year's event uh, in 2024 um, to the point where th- this time around we were talking with the local IGA, the local bakery, and, and several other uh, small businesses in town. Where this time around they ended up having to employ, for example, IGA had to put another two people to man the the, the um, cash register and do bits and pieces because. As a town of only 700 people, when we go and bring 200 people into the town, it's it, it makes a big difference. Mm. So from, from, from a small town, it's it's been brilliant. They've thoroughly enjoyed having us there. On the Sunday, we had Lawrence Springborg, the mayor out there, come on out to check it all out, and he was blown away by it, and, and he made the effort of going into town and talking with local companies in town about what what the Festival of Air Modeling not just brought to obviously the era modelers but brought to the local town and helped the local economy.
0: So the did most of the people camp out at the field or you know where where were people staying?
1: It it ended up being um the majority ended up staying at the field. We ended up having to extend the camping area so it was set up for 60 campsites and we ended up with about 52 or 53 campsites with some some campsites having two to three people in it so there was a fair number of people at at the field over that course of the entire time um and the way it was all set up was we tried to make sure that everyone had obviously enough area for whether it be a tent or a a caravan or their trailer and also a little bit of an area for whether they were going to set up a marquee or they had their own little fire pits and had their own little little groups over the course of the event.
0: Yeah, no, it looked it looked really good and, and what was you know it was the second edition of the event and it just seemed to like the, the groundswell of support just seemed to is starting to well up. And I know that there are other people that are looking at going to the event for the first time next year. So it's going to get bigger and bigger. What happens when three hundred people turn up?
1: Um, in all serious, in all seriousness, Andrew, I personally think that's actually a a good problem to have. I think, especially um, for Gundawindi Shire Council, um, for the Inglewood Aerodrome, that many years ago, not just the local council but the state government invested a lot of money into into putting in the runways and everything they're starting to see some a really, really good return from it. And the way I see it um, going forward, if we end up with that two to 300 um, pilots at the event, I personally don't see it as a massive issue because we've set it up as the multiple flight lines. And the way we did it was we had a – I was um, set up halfway, like pretty much on the middle of where – they both, uh, at the end of each of the flight lines. So the way we treated it was we had a 100-metre dead man's land. And basically the, our main concern was the last thing we needed was a plane coming from either flight line and, and creating an incident in the middle. From that there, we were able to communicate with each of the flight line directors if someone flew into the dead man's land that, hey, could you please let the chat know with the F-16 just to shorten it up or anyone on the warbird, on the grass flight line to shorten up as well. I think gearing it up, if you look at many other events that happen, not just in Australia, but around the world for the sheer volume of number of pilots based on every single flight line, I can't see why each flight line, well, Shepparton would probably be a perfect example. I remember back in the days in the mid 2000s when Shepparton, we had about 120 pilots. And the reason why I remember that was the the bids that they gave out. I think my number was 122. So one flight line over that period of time can easily handle, well, well could handle 120 pilots. With our plan going forward with trying to ensure that we've got three flight lines set up, call that at most, you know, 70 pilots each flight line, where they're looking at around about, what would that be, around about 210 pilots. And that in itself is going to be an amazing number. Um, I don't other than Shepherd, and I don't know if there's been really any other events. I, I can't remember the exact numbers of Lusk and Tyre back in twenty sixteen. I think they had around about sixty or seventy pilots. But it, it really hasn't been done in Australia. But I think as long as we as the organisers keeping that forward thought process of being positive, proactive and especially safety conscious, being able to set the place up. To handle so many pilots, I can't see why it can't be done. And and I personally think it's going to be a great thing. Yeah. Now, uh,
0: it's held at the Inglewood Airport. What is What does the airport think of having um, having the club there and uh, the event there?
1: Are they supportive? So, yeah, look. So, Inglewood Air- Airport does not actually have any full size man hangers on the aerodrome. So, it is literally just a runway with a taxiway to a big area um and that's it they've got their their old control tower and a little area um with uh what the australian with what australian large-scale models has done we now have a memorandum of understanding with the gundawindi council for the next few years um and in that memorandum of understanding we're going to be actually putting in a lot more facilities uh to not just accommodate us era modelers but to also accommodate the local SES and some of the local emergency crews um, for it. So we're as for necessarily what in- the Inglewood Aerodrome thinks about, because there's no one really there, there's nothing, there's obviously no real issues. It's more of making sure that we're appeasing uh, the locals, the local council, and also any general aviation that comes in. Now, over the course of the event, we did happen to have some general aviation come in, and it is... The 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 field we had the no TAM issued for the, the course of the entire event. However, even with the no team, we still couldn't the the field the aerodrome was not shut down to full size. So we're still always going to be, you know, full the the chance of full size coming in. Um over that entire time myself as an AROC license operator, I was monitoring the, the radios, those people in the full size that were wanting to come in we they they just notified us at 10 minutes out and at that time i was able to notify the flight line directors get all the models down safely um pull everything back from the runway to allow any full size to come in so i think the big thing is as long as for us we're being accommodating with the local full size guys especially because there's a lot of farms out there so a lot of farmers are flying in between the towns instead of having to drive to then go out to their local farms um, in the end, I think from the locals, I, they, they believed that we were pretty accommodating for it all.
0: That sounds good. I did see a, a, a post on Facebook. Wasn't there a um, like a crop dust or something that blew a tire or something and everybody had to wait?
1: Yeah, so what, what had happened was um, on the Tuesday, I believe it was, um, we had a, a call from the SES that there was a fire out at Milmarin Now the local Milmaron Air, Airport. Actually closed down for some reason. I'm not 100% sure why. So they were bringing in uh, turbo um, crop dusters in to fill up from the station at the main area where the SES are set up and head on out. So they've um, they notified us this. They gave us plenty of notes They gave us about half now, 40 minutes, which gave us enough chance get everyone grounded, everyone's safe. The SES. Um, it was pretty cool because the SES over the entire event had the, they, they were arranging the whole canteen for us all. So they are accommodating everyone. So at the moment of a notice, canteen stopped, the SES people, helmets on, everything, gone over the shed, open it up, get everything all out ready for these two turbo um, crosses to arrive. Anyway, first one's come in. Oh, mates had a couple of bounces, and I think he's <laughs> what he's ended up doing is he's throwing on the brakes as he's touched down the second or third time, and busted them and um, burst the tire on it. Yeah. Thinking, oh no! And the other chaps coming on in, and so anyway, the other the the guy with the busted tire was able to push himself off the runway. The other chap came in, packed it in, and started filling up. He did a couple of runs, so in that time. There was a few hours. where obviously, none of us could fly with everything going on, just for safety reasons. Um, so they had the, uh, the, the this uh, crop duster halfway down the middle of the Bitchman runway. Um, they rang up some of their lo- local people in town. They found someone in town that happened to have the um, a, uh, a jack and and everything. So they came rushing out, getting it all in. And then the tyre though, they, they they couldn't get a tyre in town, so they had to get another chap from. I think it was Toowoomba, to get the spare tyre, put it in the aeroplane, fly the aeroplane into Inglewood uh-huh. so then he could give him the spare tyre to weird. get him fixed and back on his way. So it was it was quite um interesting sitting back and, and watching it all happen and especially also watching what the STS did on how their, their procedures are on the moment that, that aircraft lands, their taxi back, getting it out there, refuelling it. Getting out as prompt as possible. We've got to certainly give it to our emergency services for that.
0: I'll tell you what, I can just—I've got this vision of like a hundred error modelers watching this landing and then all critiquing the bounce and what they did wrong. It's like there's a <laughs> lot of judges here going. Buddy, you bounce it because you just came in too hot or you flared too high and you sunk it in it. <laughs>
1: oh, you're not wrong, but I suppose if you were going to go and fly a turbo bush, uh, a turbo crop um, duster at a scale event that's being judged. That you can now bounce your landing yeah, and it's now considered that, scale.
0: That is true. That is true. All the scale competitors have been going, well, is that what we need to do now? Bounce our landing? Cool. And when someone says, oh, that wasn't a good landing, well, wait a second. Here's some video footage of a landing in Inglewood.
1: Exactly. Uh, it was, overall, mate, it was, it was certainly um, from the feedback that we've got, it has been a highlight for obviously everyone that attended, but also for us as organisers. We, we do this because we love it and we uh, aspire for the, the, the hobby to, to grow and also for people within the hobby to experience and see different uh, areas uh, that, that they're within. The, the best one that was I had to have a chuckle was last year, um, everyone, many people know... Um, the uh, the scale guys from down in sydney peter goff anthony ogle great guys amazing builders awesome pilots and have always flown scale and they turned up last year and, and they've got their warbirds and everything and and they were interacting with the imac guys and several different people but this year they've turned up again with their scale stuff but they've then gone and bought themselves imac models and they've turned up with a couple of jets and it's that bit about when you, obviously, we all get in our little clicky groups, whether it be scale or jets or iMac or F3A, but it's not until you go to an event like the Festival of Era Modeling that you start to, you know, see outside that box and look at different things. And you go, I really wouldn't mind trying, you know, flying a bit of iMac or a bit of F3A or, or scale, whatever it might be. So it, it brings those groups together, and you go, oh well, this would be pretty cool. And then they go away, and they come back that next year, and they've got something different. You know, another couple of examples was um, a couple of the scout, uh, um, a couple of the IMAT guys bringing up a couple of warbirds. I think it's brilliant.
0: Well, this, you know, what the problem is, Aaron, is that events do this to people. You know, do you know how many people I know that they'll go to an event, have a great time. And then the next week they go and buy model aeroplanes. It's great for the industry because they go, oh, I need a Warbird now because those people had lots of fun. I'm going to go and buy a Warbird now. We've all been guilty. We've all been guilty of this. Is that, you know? If we all analyze, all the listeners out there, analyze when have you bought new planes? And I dare say half the time it's because you went to an event, you had a good time and you saw something in, that you liked and off you go, more cash. Uh, plans for next year. You got the date set?
1: Yep, the dates are set. Uh, You've caught me off guard on this one. I think from memory we've got it set as, I think we've got it down, it's like the 24th of June through to the uh, 2nd of July.
0: So that's still the school
1: holiday period? Still that school holiday period. Look, you know, we've we've, we've spoken to many different people and and the the, the problem's always going to be is it's not necessarily going to suit everyone. However, for next year what we've done is, this this last year we ran it from the um the Monday through to the Monday, but next year we're going to run it from a Saturday through to the following Sunday. That way, it enables people that can necessarily only make it for one weekend, where it, it covers over two, where they can either come for the start or the finish.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's a really good idea. I think the timing's perfect. I you know I think um it from a calendar of events perspective in Australia when you when we get into June take out most of the southern state events um you know South Australia Victoria we you know get quiet for, for you know nobody wants to run an event around that period of time because they don't know what the weather's going to do um and so and there's not any major events in, and stuff like that but um so I reckon yeah it's perfect perfect timing and, and being in school holidays I think made it possible for for people with kids and whatever to maybe make a bit of a holiday of it and um travel up that way so yep as i said i know multiple people down here where i live in um in melbourne that are already uh planning for next year's event to, to come up so i think it's going to just keep on growing and it's good to see it's good to, it's good for us to have a, a big marquee event like that on the calendar so um well done to you and the gang that put the uh put the event on because it's, it's a fair bit of effort so um well done
1: i appreciate it mate thank you very much
0: one event finishes, and we've got another big event coming up, which you're part of, which you're not organising it, so you can sit back and just enjoy the event. And um, I want to start talking about the, the F3A World Championships, the pattern uh, competition world champs that are happening here in Australia, 19th to the 26th of August. It's almost here. Um, Now, you're competing for Australia. Who else is in the team with you?
1: So for this year's world championships, the team uh, consists of, uh, as you said, myself. uh, We then have John Tonks, who is competing. um, He's based down in South Australia. And we have Peter Panisi from up here in Queensland. And for the first time, I believe, in around about, I think it's 10 years now, since we've had a junior on the team. And this year's junior is Macklin Dodd from down the Gold Coast. Yeah,
0: so... I'm looking at the the entry list. I, I had a look a quick look online. So as I as we record this and then these numbers could change. There's 21 registered countries. There's 59 competitors, uh, or number of registered competitors is 59 in total. 52 of those are seniors and seven juniors, um, and no females at this point in time. But they're waiting official entry forms. So there may be, which would be good to see now. Okay, let's oh, – oh, oh, I've got so many questions to ask you. I don't know where to start. But the venue's at Warwick. Is it at the airport at Warwick?
1: Yes, that's correct. So it's being held at the Warwick Aerodrome, which I think about a oh, 10-minute drive um, north. I think it's northwest. No, northeast of um, Warwick itself.
0: Okay. And have you got any indication as to how many flight lines they're running and that kind of thing?
1: So traditionally over World Championships, uh, we run two flight lines. Same again is happening here. So I can't remember the exact separation when I was looking at it. However, there's going to be a flight line pretty much at each end of the bitumen runway. Um, the the orientation will be obviously as preferred in here in the southern hemisphere is you're going to be flying east, west, facing the south.
0: Yeah. Okay, good. What's the venue like? Have you flown there before?
1: I've never flown there before. However, I've been there a couple of times. Uh, well, I called up there only a couple of months ago just to check it out. There, I went up there on a Sunday, being obviously a full size aerodrome. Um, they do a lot of glider flying out there, so I was able to go and check out a lot of the full size gliders, and and they were very accommodating. I told them that I was on the team, and was coming up, and. It, it was they they basically welcomed me in and you know showed me around the place. They they're looking head up there, you can head up around here to see where these the flight lines are going to be. So it was good to be able to check it out. Um and and looking at your the, the, the lines that we're actually going to be flying because um as a competitor, uh, especially whether in in any form of aerobatics, um because we're basing everything a lot of our, our lines and our geometry. It's 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 a good thing to be able to have an understanding of what your bearings are going to be like.
0: Yeah, that's true. Okay, no doubt you've been doing a lot of practice. Um, how's it all going? <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: well, the be, uh, being completely honest, I've um, I haven't done a huge amount in the last two months. With obviously having Inglewood uh, Festival of bottling. Prior to that, it was only. The week before Englewood, I just got back from Western Park over in the UK. Um, I was over there manning a booth. And then, so I was there for two weeks. And then before that, I was at home for two weeks. And and then I was also at Joe and So I've had this window of around about oh, 10 weeks where I, being honest, I haven't done a huge amount of F3A practice. Um, and on top of that there though, also the model that I have been flying the last year and a half, isn't the model I'm actually going to be competing with. The model I'm competing with, I've test flew four days ago. Um, so this year I'm going to be flying the uh, balanced bike designed by Chip Hyde and manufactured by CK Aero. Um, so I've, at the moment I'm still, I've, I've got in a fair few flights so far on the model, even though I only test flew at end of last week, a lot of just tweaking and everything. I suppose for me, with F3A, our sequences, we run the same sequence for two years in a row. So it's not like I'm having to go out there and relearn a sequence. I'm already knowing what I'm doing. I have a general idea. I can Obviously, I've got the other model I've been flying the last 18 months with. So at the moment, I'm, I'm just spending that bit of time tweaking the new model to fly as close as possible to my older model and and more of to do with your dual rates, your expo—that general feeling—to make them both feel as close as possible, and not having to change your muscle memory to achieve what you're trying to achieve. So, yeah, look for me. I suppose practice is a little bit on the um, on the short side. However, I can say that I'm certainly not the only person in in this boat for the worlds. I know of around about another ten to twelve other competitors. Um, some guys that are really, really well-known around the world in, in iMac and F3A who have literally still um, uh, only test flow on models or actually at this current moment still building models <laughs> that they're going to be flying <laughs> in the world in, in four minute. or five weeks. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, it's that last-minute dash. I suppose um, you, you, you've got to have those people that are going to spend two years practicing with that same model over and over to have that 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 perfect feel and understanding on how it's going to be. And then you're to have some people who, you know, can very well do it but just do it in a lot shorter period of time. Yeah.
0: Now, well, I suppose, though, you'll get a few more practice flights in. You know, how many what's, – what's your regime looking like now leading up to the event?
1: So from here out, I want to spend another day or two out um, flying both the old model and the new model back-to-back. Um, I suppose everyone looks at um, practice and setting up of models very differently. I'm, I've my, my previous model that obviously I'm taking as my backup model is called a, a, an Advantage by Huayang. It's a, it's a Japanese-designed model. Um, and a bit, So flying that last 18 months, with the new one, it's about what I've been doing is I've been trying to fly each model back-to-back alternate flights to try to make the new one feel as close to the old one as possible. Um, Once I've got that general feeling, I'm going to go out and probably spend the next three weeks out, you know, doing some decent bit of practice. So we fly two different sequences. So over the course of the event, the first four days of the event, you fly the P sequence, the preliminary sequence. You only get to fly that once a day. Um, after the four days, they cut to the top 30, you, they take a day off and then go into the semifinals, um, which you do another two flights after the semifinals, they cut to the top 10. And then on, on that last day, the top 10 fly four flights. So for me, it's more of my, my practice going into everything is I'm, um, having, Having done many events over the years before, such as Tucson and and Clover Creek and the IMAC Worlds, is it's about trying to find what suits yourself. Now, what suits me personally is I can't go and practice too much because I then find I over-practice because you start to notice yourself, you, you, you're on this incline as you start tweaking every little thing and you get to this peak and then the... Once you've hit that peak, you'll plateau for a little bit and then the decline will become a lot steeper than the incline because you've you over-practised, you're starting to make silly mistakes that you normally wouldn't do. So for me personally, what I've learned is over my past few years is I start practising around about that four weeks out, providing obviously I've got, as long as I've got the model set up right, I'm happy with it. I then go out, I spend three weeks of practice. The first weekend will literally be going out there as boring as it is, flying lines up and down the runway. Just go up, do a half cube and practice having that constant middle height, that constant mid height, that constant top height and constant roll rates. From there, I then spend another weekend weekend or two um, starting to physically practice the sequence and tweak it all. Um, and then that last weekend before practice I'll go out and just do one flight late of an afternoon um, after work predominantly when I'm mentally, physically buggered to try to push myself at my worst, from that there, stop flying and I won't fly for a a week and a half, sometimes two weeks right before the event. So I I suppose back back to where I started practising, so probably more start practising around about five weeks out and then it's, I find it's important to have that week off or that half a week off where you don't physically touch a plane, you don't do anything, and you just recuperate. So that way when the, the competition rolls in, you practice that two days prior and then you roll into the competition, you know, on your A game. And, again, look, this is something that just works for me. Something, you know, other things work for different people, I suppose.
0: Do you get practice flights um, before the event? At the the field, Um,
1: Yeah, so you're allowed one official practice flight at one of the flight lines before the event. Jeez, not much. That's, yeah, that's it. So it's it's not, you don't quite get that opportunity to go out there, put five, six, seven flights and have that general idea of your bearings. So it's quite important that we find in past years, a lot of guys... um, a lot of the top guys look for flying fields and practice sites that have got a similar orientation to what the actual competition site's going to be like, especially, for example, in Italy this um, in 2019 at our last worlds, um, you're facing east of a morning and you've got that sun coming straight up in front of you. And all you've you, you still got to fly that same line just because the sun's in front of you. That doesn't change things. They give you a, um, a sun dial, which your helper can position to block out the sun. And it's basically, it's it's just a, 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 um, a, um, a plastic, uh, see-through plastic disc, but with a thick tint on each side. So you can still just see your model through it, but it reduces that overall sunlight. So it's important that wherever you're going to go and practice, you've got that same orientation, that same or, of what you're necessarily looking at. Because there'll be times, for example, at Italy, you're coming in and you've got a, a spin center box and you're doing your spin in the sun. It doesn't. You can't just offset your spin because oh, the sun's in the way. No, competition F3A. Everything has to be centered. So you do that spin right. You know, pretty much through the middle of that disc, and then you finish your spin. You come straight down out of out of your sundial on center, and and away you go. It's um, it, it can be quite um, daunting for the average person who's never experienced it before.
0: I only learnt this year that no, it was last year that IMAC. Um, mean IMAC you don't need to centre your your manoeuvres, which I an F3A you do. I think IMAC should be yeah. Cent- I think IMAC should be centering
1: their manoeuvres as well. Look, I think IMAC has changed over the years where. It's um, the the sequences that are written are a lot more. It's it's quite interesting to compare the dynamics between the two. As iMac, you don't necessarily have. It, it's it's a lot more complex. The the maneuvers, the, the snap combinations, your roll combinations. So iMac's more about. So we, we have a thing in, in IMAC called airspace control. So it's all about your score is based on the positioning of your maneuvers. So just because on the arrest, it might be drawn on the centre, you might very well have to fly it off centre because your previous maneuver or your next maneuver to be within a judged area to, to suit your airspace control might necessarily, you know, need to be further one way than the other. So then everything else gets offset. I think it's, it's, it's a bit hard, especially for the sequences that are, that are written these days. Like I know a perfect example is that at Tucson last year, one of the, as much as it's not necessarily an overly difficult manoeuvre, um, however, an invitational, our first manoeuvre going into like a bit of a, a dunny ball looking set up like it was a three-quarter loop and a half loop. But coming along, you had a 16 of eight-point roll. That's so, so. To those who don't know, that's literally two rolls divided up into one eighth segments. On. And at each point, and it, and each exactly, and at each point, you're having to, you know, draw a brief perceptible pause on each line. So we've got all us invitational guys starting in Mexico and we're finishing in Canada <laughs> before we even pull our first radius. Yeah. And and, and, that, and and exactly. And that's the hard thing with iMac. As much as, you know, maneuvers aren't necessarily centered, rolling elements still have to be centered on our lines in iMac. However, obviously, the, the maneuver can be moved around. F3A, um, predominantly the P sequence, is not necessarily as difficult as iMac. It's probably the physical flying of it would be the equivalent to about a sports. Uh, no. I would say an intermediate IMAX sequence where it's it's general end maneuvers you've got to snap a couple of different spins it's 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 not the most difficult out there however in F3 a the rules are a lot more um strict so for example that that the moment you take off and you turn around we we get judged on consistent pace so The speed that you're flying a horizontal line is the same speed. You're flying a vertical up line, a vertical down line, any 45 lines. Everything has to be the same speed, obviously, except for coming into a spin. Then further to that there, roll rates. That first roll rate that you make on your first manoeuvre is the same roll rate that you're aiming to have on every single roll element on every single manoeuvre.
0: I just want to jump in there just on your roll rates when you set up your roll rate are you setting up your radio so that your roll rate is determined by your full aileron deflection so you can just jam it jam jam it to the end to keep a consistent roll rate or are you're dialing in with your fingers
1: well funny funny you actually bring that up up because i only had the conversation a couple of weeks ago um with a couple of people up at Ingwood, and then after that, that uh, stayed with us doing a bit of practice before the um, IMAC event at Tinkham Bay a couple of weekends ago. Um, and they traditionally set theirs up to, to gate the sticks. The problem that you've got with gating the stick at full stick to do your roll is um, in the event of if something happens, say you're on a downline and, and you've missed something and you're needing to fit in. Call it a four-point roll, and you're having to gate your stick to do that four-point roll, and you rush out of time. It's you're struggling with it. So for me personally, um, what I recommend to a lot of people is um, you, you shouldn't be when you're doing point rolls and full rolls, you shouldn't be necessarily gating the stick. You should be pushing the stick to a comfortable amount that you feel comfortable with with your muscle memory. In the event of obviously if you're needing to rush, then obviously you gate the stick, and yes, it's going to look rushed. But um, a lot of the top guys, they never gate the sticks when it comes to rolls. Other than snap rolls, yes, you're going to gate the stick, put things in, in certain corners um, to achieve a snap roll. However, for, for point rolls and general rolls, we traditionally never gate the stick. It's more of just a... What feels comfortable based on your muscle memory? Yeah, okay.
0: Oh, I thought that was a good question. Um.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, it's, it's a valid question though because a lot of people, as they start flying aerobatics, that's what they traditionally do. They go, oh, well, you know, I'm about smooth rate, so, you know, I should set it up low enough that I go full gate and it does it. That, that, that you know, I can see where they're coming from because obviously you're wanting it to look smooth. But you've got to be – you've got to draw a line between making it look smooth and also in the event if something happens and you need more aileron to to roll around and get something, uh, to get to a point to save the model, you're not going to be able to do that just by gating the stick and it doing a slow roll.
0: Well, we just had a bit of an audio glitch, uh, as you probably just heard. But, Aaron, you were telling us about um – where did where, we leave off? You were talking about the roll rates or something like I,
1: that? I, I was talking about roll rates. So, um, some of the guys I've been practicing with were setting up their models that when they go to do a full aileron roll, they'll gate the stick. And it can take up to around about, you know, three to four seconds to do a full axial roll. And as much as it looks beautiful and it might be easier for the person to then control or not having to worry about balancing it. It's that moment that if something happens, say for an example on a downline, um, you need to be able to gate that stick, speed up your roll to be able to recover your plane safely. Yeah. Well,
0: it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, now, I was looking at the list of competitors, and there's a lot of different countries, and there's some really big names. Who are the names that we need to look out for in this
1: event? I think the um, there's a couple. There's certainly a lot of the guys out of Europe. We have, um, Christophe Pant who's coming out. And, uh, to those who don't know, Christophe, he's uh the current he's nine time F3A world champion. Um, is considered. I I personally believe by. Many of the other top F3A pilots and IMAC pilots around the world, as you know, one of probably if not the greatest precision aerobatic pilot, you know, in the world. Um, They compare him to another chap many years ago, and I'm probably putting out a couple of names that not many people know of, um, such as the guy by the name of Hanno Pretner from uh, Austria. KK Samanzini from uh, Argentina, who now lives in the US. Uh, So Kristoff will certainly be, uh, I believe, the number one out of everyone that they're going to be keeping an eye on. Um, Further to that, though, there has been some stuff that's happened in the last year where there's been a couple of other international guys from Europe who have actually beaten um, Kristoff, such as a guy by the name of... um, uh, Lassie Norelia, I believe that's how I pronounce his last name, from Finland. He's actually beaten Kristoff, I believe, once or twice in the last couple of um, competitions throughout Europe. Um, and another young guy by the name of uh, Stefan Carrier from France. Now, Stefan, I believe from what I'd heard, he's actually a full-size pilot and um, in the French Navy, and he's a part of like one of the, the actual aerobatic demo teams flying jets. Um, so that's what he does for a living. But on this last weekend, he himself has just beaten Christophe um, at the French F3A Championships. Oh, gee. So those couple of guys, you know, not to mention also we've got Gerno Bruckman, uh, no, um, no stranger to the world of aerobatics, whether it be IMAC, F3P or F3A. At the last Worlds, he came third. Um, again, he'll be certainly one to look out for. Um, We then have Tetsu Onda from Japan. He uh, was the previous F3A world champion uh, back in 2017 in Argentina. He was the first one to beat Kristoff in over a decade, and it literally came down to, I believe, Kristoff flopped a stall turn or a hammerhead. That's how tight it ended up being. However, Onda has been... Uh, uh, coming second to Kristoff for at least the last 20 years. So, you know, he's another one. Um obviously we then have our um American friends Andrew Jesky and and Jason Schulman those guys have always been in that top 5 competing at, at a F3A world. So between several of those guys, I believe that there's going to be our top 6, top 7 guys on on you know on who it's it can very well be. Um, the the thing is that with F3A is it's such a um, trying to think of the right word. It is such a unique form of aerobatics that can be scrutinised in many different ways. It is so hard to necessarily say out of any of them. Who could very well end up coming out on top? Because we're we're literally splitting hairs. Uh, remembering that we're talking about sequences. Look, the F sequence um, after the preliminary for the top thirty is a lot more um, like the Invitational, where we've got rolling loops, we've got rolling number eights, we've got many different bits of of, of many many different aerobatic maneuvers that. Um, are certainly quite up there. So you start noticing the difference between the men and the boys.
0: Does Fraser Briggs have a chance of winning?
1: Um, look, uh, that was Fraser's another name I never actually mentioned. <laughs> Fraser's a bit of an interesting one because he he last flew um, F three A. His last world championship was um, back in two thousand and five in France, and I'm not a hundred percent sure where he placed. I I don't I don't think he was necessarily quite up there. However. You know, that is a, a, certainly a valid name to, to put out there as to where Fraser will fit in amongst the whole thing, well, uh, I think. Um,
0: he'll win the party uh, at the party stakes, you know, if they have karaoke or something. Oh, he'll, probably win.
1: oh he'll, he'll be the one that will uh, certainly win in the drinking contest if we ever have a poke race <laughs> in the f 3 a world.
0: Yeah, and look, I'm going to shout out the uh, the lonely Cypriot, the, uh, Nicholas Georgiadis from... Uh, from Cyprus, uh, go Cyprus. My my mum's from uh, well, the family's from Cyprus. So you know, I'm probably half Cypriot then. But yeah, go Nicholas. He, he's taken my money. Um, we've got a competitor from Iran coming. Um, you know, South Korea apparently coming. Brazil, Finland, Colombia. Um, it just shows you how how. Pattern flying really has been taken over, for, you know, all all ends of the earth. China, big team from China coming, um, uh, Taipei, Israel, hopefully we're going to have a team, Argentina, the Netherlands, France, Canada, Switzerland, South Africa, Australia, Germany, Norway, New Zealand, Liechtenstein, and Japan, of course, big you know, Japanese competitors, always good, so... I tell you what, it is the Formula One of model flying. I reckon, you know. Uh, yes. So it's gonna, it's gonna, and and look, let's not discount Aaron Bones Gal, Australia's greatest aerobatic pilot. <laughs> you know, uh, what? Are, how are you looking? Uh, you you're going for the top ten finish?
1: Look, put it this way, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be extremely blunt here. F3A has always been a predominant European dominated form of era modeling, especially aerobatics. Um, um, the I've always considered it as Europe number one, Japan and the USA are second, and the rest of the world, will, they'll just fit in wherever they fit in. Um, for me personally, thing that I've learned over my years, having seen many people go to different world championships. Um, with a pre-expectation of where they're going to finish and they just come back disappointed. And my big thing is, as you know, I might necess- might have a bit of an idea but I'm really trying to just keep as level ahead as possible. My last Worlds um, in Italy in 2019, I placed 26th now. To the average person, they think, oh, 26th, that's pretty well back there. However, I was the first Australian to make a semi-finals in 20 years. Um, Previous to that there, the only other people that I know that have made a semi-finals was the likes of Bill Bloodworth, uh, Gavin Broadbent, and um, Peter Goldsmith. And Peter Goldsmith, I believe, has had the highest placing ever out of an Australian. From memory, I think he placed either 13th 13th or 14th I'm not 100% sure. Um, so look, the, the chances of an Australian making it, who knows? I, I might very well make it, but I'm not. I'm not going in there with any expectations. My my goal for for the Worlds is to literally go there, have a good time, and give it my best. And if if I make the semis, that will be awesome. If I make the top ten, I'd be absolutely ecstatic. But I'm really just trying to go into it with a uh, the a level head as best as possible
0: that's a good strategy it's a good strategy to do that i think sometimes you can psych yourself out um and uh if you're a bit more relaxed and uh, um you know you probably fly a bit better and uh, how do you go managing the nerves because you know you're putting it all out on the line really because you don't do that
1: many flights in the whole scheme of things it's well and i think that's where It almost leaves going from being error modeling to being a mental game marathon because a lot of what you're doing, it's it's when you're going out there and that's, I suppose, where I come back to also my practice regime, why I don't practice a huge amount leading into it. Because at that world, you've got eight minutes out there to do the best flight you can do. It's not like IMAC where you can uh, drop a score. You can't just drop anything. It's, no, that's it. You've got one shot, one opportunity, go out there, do the best you can. Because if you have to, if you're the sort of person that needs two or three flights to go warm up, to get into your groove, to then go out and, and compete, you're going to struggle. So it's, it's about having that right balance going into it.
0: I'd be terrible at it. I'd be so bad. I need I need the 10 warm-up flights before I can do one decent
1: flight. It's 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 funny to say that because a lot of people handle things differently. Like I'm not going to go naming names. However, I know that one of those names that I mentioned to you before of those top pilots in that top 6. I know um well from what I've I've heard through very close friends of his um he gets that much of a stage fright. He has to. He ends up being sick before his first flight. He physically is sick, and and then he comes back, and he does his first flight and rolls straight into it.
0: Are you allowed to like go and fly foamy out the
1: back before you fly or not? You can. You, you can. Um, there is nothing stopping you from practicing during the days in in F three A worlds. That's one thing that you can't. They can't stop you from going and spending the morning out practicing at a at another practice site, an hour or an hour away. And some people do that. Um, however, not not a huge amount people do. It's the sort of thing that come that that ch- that those days. They turn up, they fly, they do their flight. On the the last of the um, on the last day of the preliminaries, uh, people because the scores come through as it's happening. It's not like you just waiting for the scores, you know, for the afternoon to know where you stand. Um, And those people in that top 30, the moment that um, that last score comes through and they're seeing where they're standing in amongst it, if they see that they're within that top 20, top 25, they'll immediately get up and go and start practising that afternoon and spend that afternoon and the following day because they take one day off as a they keep a day off for reserve in case there's any bad weather, um, and a lot of people will tend to, in that top 30, will go and spend that day refreshing themselves with the F sequence that they haven't flown for, obviously, the last five, six days. Yeah,
0: okay. And what's, you know, you've been to lots of events around the world and and locally as well. What's the vibe like at an F3A World Champs? Is it relaxed or is it
1: is it really competitive? It's... um. Well, funny you mentioned earlier, only a few minutes ago, you made the reference to Formula One. And it, it really is. It is quite a, as someone who has come from, you know, Tucson and many other events, there is that really upbeat vibe. And you, and it's 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 cool. Like, you're there. It's serious. It can be tense. But you land. It's a good time and everything. The F3A World, it is, you're still there. You're having a good time. But the seriousness is really rammed up to a whole nother level. It is you, know, you you're walking around the the pits, everyone's whispering. No one's talking loud or even just general, you know, volume talking. It is quite a um a serious level of it. And and look, that's not necessarily for everyone. It's um, however, obviously at this sort of level, people take it to quite an extent. I was only talking to my parents and Brie the other day because they've never been to an F3A Worlds before and they're like, "Oh, is it going to be like Tucson?" I'm like, "Well, not not really. It's it's quite um, it's quite quite an interesting dynamic um to, to go there and, and watch it um. Look, I don't aerobatics isn't necessarily for everyone to go and watch, but I do to to those that have you know any sort of interest, I, regardless of whether it's F3A or even IMAX. I do recommend people to come and experience the F3A world for even one of the days to be able to see the environment because it is very much that like the F the Formula 1 there is that level of seriousness it's the it's the attention to detail each pilot um has an official caller has an official helper everything gets timed um uh uh, from the the moment that the, your helper puts the wheels on the ground, the timer starts. You take off the moment you finish your last maneuver. The timer finishes. Anything over the timer, you get downgrades. You lose points from. Um, so it, it is quite it's quite intense by the whole thing. You come in and land, and what they do is they have a um because we're all actually all subject to um this is going to be a bit of a surprise for a few people, but under FAI there's an anti-doping where we actually have to register that we're not taking drugs or any form of medication or anything. So when we come back um, from our flights, there'll be like a box with a few different coloured ping pong balls or or something inside it and you have to physically draw something out of this box. And if you've picked the wrong colour, plane gets taken away they pull apart your plane, they check apart your plane for gyros. You know, you can very well be subject to drug tests. It is really oh, full-on like
0: Formula One. It's like the Olympics of aero modeling in a kind of way. But you
1: know what? It, it, it that's is. what
0: I'd expect though from an F3A world champs. And and that's the image that I've got in my mind. It's a serious event where, you know, you you gotta be on your game. It's like a professional kind of event. Whereas going to a Tucson is like you're going to have a good time as well as have a bit of a competition as well.
1: Yeah, look, you know, don't get me wrong. It's um, If you're into F3A and you're into that sort of level of discipline, you're going to enjoy it. It's like Formula One. As much as it might necessarily be full-on and intense to those who who see it, um, people still enjoy it. And a lot of these top guys – that, that we've already mentioned before um, that are competing such as your, your Jason Schulman's your Andrew Jeskis all these guys here all do fly iMac they all fly it too so they fly at, at many of these other iMac events however they as a competitive streak um, they all love F3A because it's that next level of ramping up of of um, scrutineering and difficulty, in what we do.
0: Yeah, that's true. Well, I'll tell you what, it's going to be a big event. Uh, and, and I'm going to be watching from afar um, to see how everything goes. And hopefully, we get some good weather. Uh, it's not too cold for the competitors. Nice, calm winds would be perfect for, 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 for everyone. So, uh, good luck, uh, Aaron, and the rest of the Aussie team. And go Fraser Briggs. Let's see. I can't wait to have a chat with him to see what his thoughts are on the
1: event. And 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 you can't forget your friend, your your uh, your family member from back in Cyprus.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, Nicholas. Uh, yep. Well done. Ela, opa. Um, so yeah, no. Well, be, we'll be keeping we'll be keeping an eye on him. Now you've been had a very very busy, uh, year in aeromodelling. Uh, I I can't keep track of where you are. And I hope you're spending enough time at work in between all these trips. How many trips have you done to the U.S. this year? Is it two or
1: three? Uh, no, I've only done the one trip to the U.S. this year. I went to Joan All uh, in May. Oh, you um, went to – oh, okay. In the last year, you've been a few times. Yep. Last year, I went a few times. Last year, I did – oh, I think I did three events to the U.S. last year. I did, I did Tucson, the Invitational, and I went over to the SAD Festival over in Tucson. Um, but this year round I've only done the one event over to Joan all. I am um, a bit of a last minute unexpected plan. I ended up going over to Western Park in the UK. Yeah, how was that now that that was that was awesome from what the the guys did uh Stephen Bishop and I've forgotten um his son's name so they they ran the event um at this place called um, it's uh, at a 1,000-acre manor, and it's a place called Western Underlizard, um, but obviously they're just calling it Western Park, and they've literally just got this runway set up in the middle of this 1,000 acres in amongst all the trees, not just for models, but for full-size coming in, doing displays as well. They had about eight, eight or 9,000 people through the gates over three days, so it's quite the air show. However, it was also an event for era modelers um so it was a it, they had a full event format where people were flying and um and doing all different sort of displays and then at night time they did a, a few multiple different not night shows where they were having fireworks go off and they put pyrotechnics on a couple of big iMac models that uh i think i think martin pickering was flying one of them so that was uh quite interesting sitting back watching all that there though um, but I, I've got to give it to them. The uh, the guys over in the UK certainly know how to put on a good event. Did you fly at all there? No, I didn't get the chance to fly at the event. However, I flew the weekend before. I caught up with some family friends of ours over there, the Bull family. They live about an hour away over in um, Burton. Um, and I spent the uh, the weekend. We went out flying for one of the days out of a place called Langer Air, uh, Airfield, uh, they used to fly um, Lancasters out of there in World War II. So it was um, – I got to go out there. We, uh, I flew a big co- uh, compas took out there and a few other bits and pieces, which was fun. Um, so, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed that there. Um, and whilst I was over there, I, I, I got the opportunity to um, go to a museum where there's a full-size Vulcan bomber.
0: Oh, because – the Gal family, big Vulcan build. The the how big is this Vulcan?
1: Uh, it's between one fifth and quarter scale. It's about six and a half meter wingspan oh. and six and a half meters long.
0: How is that project going? It's a it's a long
1: term project. I know that, but uh... so um, panel lines have all being marked out at the moment. Um, so the panel lines just need to be all scribed in. Once the panel lines are all done, we're good to ta- start taking a mold off it. Oh, getting close, getting yeah. Close. We're we're very very close, and the moment the moment obviously the the moulds are made, we'll pump one out. The first one's going to be about we want because of the sheer size of it. We want to do a, a bit of load testing on it just to ensure that the last thing we need is something of this sort of size breaking apart in the air. Um, so we'll, that, that first one out, the miles, we'll, we'll load test it if it's still, you know, we're, if we're very happy with the structural integrity of it. Um, it it's not going to take much to do the internal fit-out. The, 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 the servos, the wiring, they'll be, I believe, a two-week job. Really, really simple and easy. The landing gear's been um, 3D printed now at the actual scale of the aircraft. We're going to – we're supposed to be getting that up here soon, and what we're going to be doing is putting it together and making sure it actually fits inside because we've got the openings on the plug. We want to make sure that it all works. Once we know it all works, we'll then go and have the landing gear machined up. But the landing gear itself is going to be, I believe, around about $10,000 to make. Mm. So it's not the sort of thing we, we just want to go and wing. We want to make sure that it's going to be done right and it'll all work. Gee,
0: yep. I, I thank God for three D printing because uh, it's, <laughs> it's gonna uh, save a lot of dollars down the down the track. Okay, so um, and then you travelled in Australia a lot. You've been down to Victoria a number of times. I've seen you down here at IMAC events. Did you went to Tasmania as well, didn't you?
1: Yeah, went to Tasmania. Went back to the place I was born thirty uh, odd years ago.
0: Yeah.
1: So um. It was it was nice to go down there and experience um, you know um, some of their events that they do down there. They got a great bunch of guys down there. Good, very uh, big, supportive crew of it all for for such a small state. Uh, so we went down, been down, done that, done a couple of IMAC comps down in uh, did Wangaratta and um, Northern Flying Group. Uh, we did a big F three event over in South Australia in March. That was fun. Uh, we also went and did the aero aerotow. My old man's very big into into aerotowing and gliding. So we went and did that over the Easter break, which was good fun. Um, trying to think what other events. That's, oh, I don't know. How, that,
0: you've covered every event, I think, that's been in Australia in the past six yeah, months. So you've done that, well.
1: Yeah, that there. And then also um, one of the guys up here, Dan Wheeler, a good friend of mine. Um, I've known him for many, many years now. Uh, has started doing some scale comps up here in queensland trying to get scale up and going yeah. so I've been going along with uh with tyson Dodd and a few others there's been about 10 to 15 of us all going along doing that so that's been pretty cool to go and do well speaking of uh Dodd and wheeler you got a new podcast give it a plug I certainly have so <laughs> we um <laughs> it was earlier this year um I was over in Newmere with the, uh, with the uh, my better half and I've, I've got this phone call when I got back and it was Dan and Tyson, they're all giddy and carrying on like school kids on the phone. I said, what are you guys carrying on about? What are you on about? They're like, we've got this great idea. You're going to love it. Just are you sat down for this? I'm like, yeah, okay. They're like, we're going to set up a podcast. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, what? Don't, don't do it. Yeah, yeah. They're like, we're going to set up a podcast. So anyway, they've set up. We, we've set up this podcast called um, uh, RC uh, Era Modeling Podcast, Aussie style. Um, so it's uh, a little, a little bit different to your podcast, uh, Andrew. I suppose we're they're, they're about uh, the the whole thing has really been about um, events and the stuff that happens behind the event, and and, and the stuff that not necessarily everyone sees. For example, one of the last of, um, uh, issues or oh, last podcast that we did, we had Steve Johnson uh, on it. From uh, he's a F3A pilot from New Zealand, um, and you know we're we're talking about stuff back from like the 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 last F3A worlds that were held in Australia back in 1991, and and about some of the the antics that went on behind it, and how they ran the event, what happened. To the Kiwi team on 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 things that they missed. One <laughs> it's of the always Kiwis, the Kiwis. <laughs> exactly. Well, Steve ended up making a bit of an error on landing and put his F three A model through one of the lights there, and then what it all eventuated into, and yeah, it was it was it was quite funny. And then and then in amongst that, because we're still learning it and don't necessarily we're we, we're getting all the 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 systems up and running, um, we don't all necessarily have the greatest reception. So what we've got happening between it uh, all three of us is, if one of uh, um, one of us drops out on the reception, the other two start paying out or or bring up something silly that the other person's done that they might not necessarily want shared with everyone else. But, oh, such as such as poor Tyson uh, on one of the first episodes earlier uh, in the last year. It was Christmas Day. Um, The Dodd family were up in Tin Can Bay for two weeks and that's where Dan Wheeler lives. Um, Tyson had rang me Christmas Day, wished me all Christmas, you know, all the usual wishes in the family and he said, mate, is there any chance I've forgotten my transmitter? He says, is there any chance you could pop on down to my place and get my transmitter and bring it up? I said, yeah, sure, not a drama. Well, I've shared this with Dan and he says, I've got a great idea, to which he's gone and got himself one of the old, his old 36 megahertz transmitters, wrapped it up, put it in a shoebox, wrapped it in Christmas wrapping, bows and all, <laughs> gone, gone out to the flying field, got his boy uh, Bailey in the corner filming it. He's gone and said, he's gone to t- he Says, look. Aaron and I were kind of keeping it a secret, but you know, we've decided, you know, I want to give you this for, for, for Christmas. Paul Tyson's starting to well up. Yeah. He's like, oh, oh gosh, you could, you know, you've done so much. I'm so appreciative. And he's opened his <laughs> pops this old 36 megahertz transmitter.
0: <laughs> what, <laughs> was, what, was, say, what, what was Tyson thinking? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, so anyway if anyone's you know uh, after you know there's uh some of the wants to hear about some of the antics and other bits and pieces go and go and check uh check us on out it's um it's uh thoroughly enjoyable Let's and i'm again. sure we'll certainly be name? having you on there what's the name uh uh the uh, aussie uh, uh rc podcast aussie style that's better okay
0: and, and available on spotify correct yep okay get on down well, we've covered a lot of ground, which is good. And, and uh, you know, I, I told you ages ago, I'm going to get you on before the uh, Patton uh, World Champs. I double-checked the date, went, had a look at the calendar, went, yep, okay, got to get Aaron on to talk about it. So it's been really good. Now, before we go, I always finish, yeah. you know, I've got a signature question, what has been your favourite model, but well, I've had you on before. So I'm going to ask you, you've been at a lot of different events, World Champs of this, that, the Tucson, you name it. What has been your all time favorite event so far?
1: I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna have to go with a bit of uh, uh, promotion of the cell of, of, of what we've done here. I'm gonna have to say, Feds oh, no, I knew you were gonna say that, <laughs> you weren't gonna say Wangarada Jets or you oh, like, oh god, no, <laughs> no stuff those oh, look, other man, events, nothing against them, guys. Those guys know they do a great job down there. I think Festival of Error Modelling, what I loved about the, the Festival of Error Modelling was, you know, how many like-minded individuals it brought together, not to mention also how many father and sons and grandfather, father and sons were there over the course of the entire event. It really is an event that is about error modelling regardless of your age, regardless of your background, regardless of anything. It is it is for era modelers by era modelers, and, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say festival of era modeling would have to be the highlight. And, and as an organiser, I didn't do a huge amount of flying, and it never was for me about doing a huge amount of flying. I got just as much enjoyment out of sitting back, watching everyone else do a lot of flying and enjoying themselves over me flying myself. So mate, uh, to anyone that's uh, contemplating it for next year, it'd be great to see you all there.
0: Well, stay tuned on the uh, Facebook is probably the best way to go John, join um, Festival of Air Modeling has got their own page or is it large scale both?
1: Yep. Festival of Air Modeling has its own page and then Australian large scale models is also sharing. Yep. So uh,
0: get on board with those because uh, Jordana Dodd will start the countdown, uh, which, you know, very disappointed. Jordana started, uh, she helps out with a lot of the marketing event and she started the countdown of, you know, so many days to go and it was like every day. And we're like, come on, let's see if she can go for like three hundred something days. <laughs> <laughs> and then she 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 uh, she stopped. And then there was a massive break. And then she came back. And someone said, "Oh, I was wondering where you were," kind of thing. So um, yeah, no, it, it is a good event and well done again to um to everybody that helps put it on, including yourself. So um, that will grow from strength to strength. So uh, it will be on again next year. Stay tuned. Well, Aaron Bones, girl. Uh Thanks for joining me and all the best for the world champs. You know, do your best and uh, have a good time.
1: Yeah, thank you very much, Andrew. Thank you very much for having
0: me on. Another episode of the Flat Out RC podcast done and dusted it and what an episode it has been finding out all about. The F3A World Champs, uh, look, really excited to see that event coming to town. Um, I just wish I had more free time to be able to go up there and have a look because uh, it's not, for me, it's not just about watching the planes fly because, you know, watching pattern flying is necessarily the most exciting thing, even though the appreciation that I've got for their, their skill levels is very, very high. But seeing what happens on the ground, how the pilots interact, meeting the pilots, that kind of stuff we're talking about the formula one of of model flying in a kind of way so good luck to all the competitors no matter where you are i know they're coming from all around the world no matter where you are good luck and i hope you really enjoy your stay here in australia and i'm going to say a big thank you to the organizers well in advance because even to get to this point is a massive massive effort so big congratulations to to, to uh to get into where you're at fingers crossed everything runs smoothly and the weather is on your side. We just need some good weather for the the pilots in the event. So um, stay tuned. I'll be keeping my eye on it um, as we get closer to it and during the event. But good luck to everybody. That's it from me. Big thank you to Aaron Gahl and all the best um, to the Aussie team. Go Aussies. Uh, Don't forget, subscribe to the podcast. Leave a nice review if you like us. Tell your friends all about RC, and sign up to the Instagram page, the YouTube channel and... I don't know, send me a message if you've got any information on any events you want me to promote or if you've got any guest suggestions as well. I'm going to go. I'm going to go and edit a podcast again. Never stops here at Flat RC. Thanks for joining me and I'll be back in a couple of weeks' time.